So that was what also triggered me. I said, this, this won't work because if I continue to knock on doors, they won't open. So why not I create my own door? That was the way yeah. that I was thinking at that point of time. I said, after knocking so many doors and they remain closed, I'll create my own door. Welcome to the Making the Career Leap podcast. I'm Lynn Loy, a talent advisor and recruiter based in Singapore. If you're thinking that it might just be time for you to change your current role or career, then this is absolutely the right podcast for you. In each episode, you can expect to hear the fascinating stories and perspectives of talented individuals I've met through my work and network. It gives me great pleasure to have these in-depth conversations that dive into the why, what and how behind the big moves that these professionals have made across different domains and industries, as well as how they might have also enabled others to make similar career leaps. If you're new to the podcast or want to tell your friends about it, just visit makingthecareerleap.com to access all podcast episodes and transcripts or search for Making the Career Leap on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you prefer the video format, you can also watch the podcast on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at career podcast. Now, let's go on to our interview with Norman Chua. Hi Norman, welcome to the Making the Career Leap podcast. It's great to have you on. Good to see you again. Thank you so much for making the time. I think just to share why I wanted to invite you to the podcast is you have a fascinating career of moving from an engineering role into learning and HR, which I think is a leap that I don't know how many people can imagine themselves doing. The key lessons that I took from your stories and hearing how you've described that, I think it will really give a lot of inspiration to people who are thinking of making a leap across such different domains. So yeah, I'm really glad to have you on today. My pleasure. So I guess to get started, Norman, the first question I would usually ask the guests is just share with us, what is one career myth that you found to be untrue in your past experience? Okay, quite a myth or quite something else, but many of the career coaches that I have actually spoken to actually spoke about this belief that if they do study certain professions, if they are architects, if they're an engineer, if they are doctors, and once they go into the university and actually finish education there, the rest of their life, they will have to be in that profession. I think that's actually, I would say, more of a comfort zone than anything else. And truth to be told, usually there'll be a critical juncture within the career after that where uh, individuals will have to make a decision and say that, okay, is this the right industry for me? Not the mm. company, but rather the industry itself. And making the leap from company to company in the same industry is easy, but making the leap into a different industry, a different profession, that's the difficult one. But it's not doable. It is actually doable. So this is, I would say, a very clear myth that uh, many of them believe. Yeah, I think that's great. That's also, I find that the value of hearing you share your story is going to address a lot of that second part, right? When you're moving across the completely different industry, at the same time, also a different domain of expertise, it's really going to be quite interesting to hear how you've navigated that. Perhaps we can just start off and have you just introduce yourself. How would you... Describe this journey that you have been on. I would call it legendary <laughs> because <laughs> this, this, this story, I think my career story has been told many times before, even in public seminars, because of this huge distinction of job nature between engineering job versus a HR job. And many of them say that, oh, you actually move from right brain to left brain and you move from right, left brain to right brain. Actually, I say I actually use it differently rather than to say I actually transited uh, in that sense. So I started as an engineer. Of course, I'm a civil engineer by training. So when I left in civil engineering, but my, my specialty was actually in, in a very interesting form of engineering, in actually in transportation. So I was very interested in transportation, be it aviation, be it road transportation, town planning, urban planning kind of stuff. So it's not a hardcore, hardcore kind of engineering, but it is, I would say, people engineering rather than 
hardcore engineering. So oh, the codes and all these things, yeah, the codes are different. It's not like design codes where you design a building, you have a, need to have a certain factor of safety and things like that. But for people engineering or transportation engineering, it's slightly different. It's about mm-hmm. moving people from place to place efficiently and effectively. Yeah. So that actually, I was very intrigued by this different form of engineering. So when I was studying this as an elective in a university, that really got me intrigued mm-hmm. because I wasn't quite into that hardcore engineering, but it's more into this space over here. But lo and behold, I didn't realize at that point of time that this actually touches on people to a large extent. That means trying to understand people, trying to understand behavior, trying to understand why people move in a certain way, why people behave in a certain way. And you can start to see remotely that it's actually connected to what I'm doing right today. But I didn't realize that at that point in time. I was just curious, yes. were you talking about commuters, like understanding how commuters move or internally within the team? Because it, it, such projects are actually really at a very large scale. Or do you mean like referring yeah. to both? Both, it's actually both. Mm. Commuter is actually one part of it, but commuter is just a role of what people are playing. But on a daily basis, like for example, when they are actually moving from place to place, even walking, they're not commuters per se, but they're actually walking from place to place. How fast they walk, how slow they walk, whether it's an aging population. I didn't know you could measure that. Okay, but yeah, it makes sense. Everything. Yeah, it's one meter per second. It's, that's our assumption at, at yeah. that point of time. But again, as time evolves, as, as our population ages, you, you start to see that those assumptions are different. And with a little bit of a tweak of the assumptions, everything else that we do will be different. So that's very intriguing mm. for me to be able to plan the town, to be able to plan the transportation system based on this. All these assumptions are fantastic. You know, there are so many different parameters and each of these has its very minor tweaks in terms of the outcome that we are going to do. And that will lead on to political decisions to be taken later or many, many years down the road. Mm-hmm. Also to me, that kind of impact on people, the ability to actually help people was something that uh, is very deep-rooted inside me. But while at that point of time, I saw it as an engineering thing, yeah. I didn't know that it actually grows into something a lot bigger, especially in the space of a human resource. Yeah, so I guess that's really interesting and thank you for your service to our local transportation journey and I know you're being very <laughs> humble but probably you, uh, there was a lot of things that you had done back then that laid the foundation for a lot of the what we are enjoying today in terms of that transportation. So how different is it from what you do today if you think back about, although you said there are some similarities, right? You could share a bit more about what today looks like. Even from my engineering projects. Yeah, from your engineering days. One of those projects that I've done in the past, and, and today I still brag a fair bit about that to my children, is a barrage. Because when we were actually planning barrage at that point of time, it was literally just a, almost like a blank piece of paper, just with a few lines, a sketchy lines of how the island looks like and things like that. I can talk about this now because it was in the master plan almost 20 years ago. So it's no longer embargoed. Anyway, the barrage has been built. So I remember this meeting that we actually attended with some of the government agencies and all these things that all we presented there was a few lines that cuts across the water. And that one line that we drew out of the different options that we drew, that one line is now transformed into that very beautiful barrage. And the entire area over there is started from that one line itself. Sometimes when I bring my children to cycle in the marina areas and things like that, I say, this one was a line on the map. And guess what? <laughs> That line that your daddy drew, now it actually became a structure that so many people, so many million people can actually go there and enjoy. And that's the footprint, that's a legacy that we actually left for people. You know, we want to make this world a better place than when we came here. So, so this is one small little contribution that I thought we could 
Oh, that's such a nice story. Thank you for sharing that. So what happened after you've done this you know, engineering role for some time? What gave you an itch to then think about making a leap into a new career? When I left engineering, I went to public service. Of course, I went to the transport ministry to actually work on all the transportation projects. There's no, nowhere else to go except for the ministry and the agencies actually work on this. But towards the tail end of my time there, in fact, I went to three different divisions when I was actually working with the authority. And one of my last division was actually, I would say, transportation traffic management, which is very much on the ground. So I was in the strategic planning all the way down to traffic engineering. And traffic management and engineering actually goes down to the ground <clears throat> into very much detail. You have to go and talk to the people. You have to understand the people on the ground before you can do anything. But for the strategic one, sometimes you don't really go to that extent. You have some parameters, you do some coding, you go into the model and then get some numbers back. This one, you really have to go down to the ground. You have to hear from the people, you have to feel their pain, you have to really show empathy about some of these situations that they are in. Because it can be easy to draw a line, but if that's going to cut through like 10,000 residents and they have to be displaced to go to some other places, you've got to hear from them what they actually feel about, uh, how they feel about it. So that was when I started to sense that, hey, you know what, this area of engaging people to that extent is very interesting to me. And I was actually, at that point of time, it was in the service committee uh, to be looking mm -hmm. at how to elevate the service standards in public service. Me being a consumer as well, sometimes I also feel that, like, hey, can we do this a little bit better? Can we be a little bit less curt in the way that we answer? of the letters and inquiries and things like that. And I was at the point of time also serving counter as well in the authority. And so I know how people do feel when you just tell people, no is no. What else can yeah. you do, right? <laughs> but that's when I learned about how do you provide alternative? How do you provide the listening ear? How do you make no sounds like a good yes to them as well? These are the things that I learned and as I was attending courses and then I went to take some external courses as well to understand human psyche, psychology, mm -hmm. neuro-linguistic programming. Then I start to understand how to communicate better with people. And so that was an eventual shift towards something that is more learning and training rather than transportation itself. It sounds to me like you're always like a continuous learner. It's very intrinsic oh. for you, like you keep yeah. on wanting to learn. Sometimes people stop at the learning. But I think what's interesting about your story is you took that learning and said that, okay, what do I do with that? Next. So I'm just wondering, was there like a trigger event that made you decide to say, okay, I've learned all these things and I've mm. already done what I wanted to do in my first career in engineering. What made you decide that, okay, now is a good time to do something else already? I guess there's no one event, but a series of validations from different people. For example, in engineering, of course, we always have new engineers who's coming in. So essentially, when they come in, what we do is we do OJT. You sit beside me, I show you what you do, blah, 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 and then you take over from there, right? Well, that's on-the-job so, training, right? For those of people exactly. who are familiar with the term. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a very old-school, traditional way of knowledge transfer, right? Yeah. And to me, is yes, the knowledge somehow get transferred, but is it effective? Does it mm. sit well with the receiver? How effective yeah. is this way of training the newcomers to do. And nobody asks the newcomers how they feel about it because they'll be like, oh, I'm done with you. So my job here is I've already trained you yeah. six hours. Yeah, yeah, last already. time was not the priority. It was never experience-based. It was just <laughs> clinically saying that I've trained you for six hours. You better be ready to do this job. I've trained you for 12 hours. You better be doing it. So, so I put myself in the trainee position or the new engineer's position. I'll be totally lost. I'll be so overwhelmed by all this information, the technical terms and all these things. How can we make this whole experience better? So in the end, I took my own time to actually design some of the training program and the onboarding program and journey for young engineers itself. And then I 
I told my boss then, oh, can we try something like that? So that when the new engineers come, it's a form of really... It's very ahead of the time, I must say. Yeah, at that point yeah. of time. So it, was, it wasn't quite clear. I was like, what are you doing? Why are you spending time doing this kind of thing? I was like, let me try. Let me see how it actually goes. So I took the program a little bit. I designed program. I put some of this um, OJT material into SOPs and things like that. And very simple things. It's not something like a thick encyclopedia. It's something very simple, something that's quickly accessible to them and all these things. And I started training my new engineers on that. And they were so happy and feedback was great. And they were like, this is done professionally. This is very good. And I was like, oh, good. They did that by me. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay. Say, hey, you can really do this for a living. So that was one of those things when you know, people tell me, say, hey, you can actually do this for a living. I was like, nah, I can't be. So I kind of negate that in the beginning. But as time goes by, more and more of these validations start to come in because I do a fair bit more public speaking. Yeah. I was delivering town halls, I was delivering sessions on what I'm doing from an engineering point of view. I was also delivering sessions to public as well on some of the public policies and things like that. And while it's difficult, but I really get a kick out. So I knew inside me intrinsically, I know that there's something that's growing inside me and something that I have not really totally turned upon yet. It's really something that's in it, but you need the right platform, the right encouragement, the right validations for you to come out. And I guess we want to say one trigger was when one of these, I would say, international speaker came to the organization that I was working in, and then he actually did service training, a half a day service training to about 200 people in the whole workshop. And I was totally intrigued how he delivered simple messages in the most humorous but yet powerful way. So during the tea break, during the lunch break and things like that, I went to talk to him and say, how do you do this? How do you cook up this? Where? It's amazing, this journey is so engaged and people around me are just like, oh yeah, it's just another service training. So I was going beyond the content to actually be so intrigued by the delivery. Then just by talking to him on two separate occasions on that day, one is during tea break, the other one is when the whole session finished. He said, if there's one advice I want to give you is this, you have a good voice, use it. You have a good influencing voice, use it. I was like, what? And she said, yeah. Content, you can actually learn it later, but you have these things that others don't have, which is a good influencing voice, you have to use it. And then he gave me some link, he said, okay, go to these few links and then go to the speakers, net, talk to people, go into a committee of practice and then get yourself visible, talk to more people, your experience will come as the time goes by. That was one moment that I remember to today. That's a huge validation, right? Because it's like yeah. an international speaker. He does this for a living. And then yeah. to hear that encouragement from the right person to make it real, make you feel like, okay, I should really just take that next leap is really quite a great validation on that part. So mm-hmm. after you've heard that, right, what do you do next? So in terms of making that change a reality as the next step. So I went ahead to take on a diploma uh, to look at what training is like. If I want to deliver training ah. for the future, if I want to do keynotes yep. for the future, how does it? So that's when I went to take a diploma in adult learning. I finished my, I thought now the ACLP, if I'm not wrong. So I took all these courses just to understand a little bit of the technical terms behind how do people go into L&D, how do people do training and development, you know? I really wanted to know how to do content design, for example, because I have absolutely no idea how to do it in the beginning. So I mentored from all these courses, and then after that, I probably have enough courage to tell my boss uh, nine months in advance to say that, you know what, wow. I'm walking out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something totally different, and I'm thinking of going into training. I don't have a company to go to because every company that I say, oh, do you want a trainer? Nobody opens the door. Nobody, because nobody will want to take an engineer to go in and do a service training. Nobody will want to do that, even though I have experience. But mm-hmm. some, many of the companies that I actually spoke to said, sorry, even in your CVs, nothing here or very little 
evidence to show that you can actually deliver a training. I said, why not let me deliver a session for you for free and then after you decide, say, oh, uh, it's very dangerous. Well, we actually minimize the risk to them to zero already, like even if there's no chance. Yeah. Yes, let me run a trial. Let me do a lunchtime talk for you and things like that. No, they didn't want to actually do that. So that was what also triggered me. I said, this won't work because if I continue to knock on doors, they won't open. So why not I create my own door? That was the way yeah. that I was thinking at that point of time. I said, after knocking so many doors and they remain closed, I'll create my own door. Do you so remember like roughly actually, how many doors that you knocked at the time? I went to knock on some really big companies. I don't know why I'm so courageous at that point of time. Okay, but I actually went to knock on <laughs> some real big companies and some really small ones and around the range of 20, 25 of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so co-emails, co-calls sometimes and things like that. Oh, you really Very got out of the Zone. <laughs> it, you have to, you, you just have no shame because ultimately this will become my career. This will become my next job in that kind of thing. I have mortgage to pay and I have kids to feed and all these things. And I was transiting the time when my two elder kids were very young. So that is another consideration as well. So I, I need to at least land on something, at least something that's fundamental uh, before I move on. So that's about the financial planning side, which we can talk about it later. But it, it is a critical part that we constantly, or we as me and my wife, we're trying to explore. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. To say that, okay, if I go all the way to do this, make sure, you know, there's no looking back already because I don't believe in making a decision really and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, you make a decision and then you move Open forward. The and then, yeah, yeah it's essentially yeah, not a bridge, but just the work itself. And it really gives me the courage to really try. I said, if I just want to protect my face and, you know, um, and say, oh, no, no, I used to be an assistant manager last time and then now I cannot do it. No, you, you've got to be humble about it. You know, you've got to just put pride aside for now and say that, yeah. you know what, if you want to do this, this is the first step I'm going to do. Yeah. So in the end, I plonk in $60, register with cry and I started. Well, what really stands out when you're sharing that, right, is a lot of times it's not so easy when you receive rejection and that shakes people's belief in whether they can do something. It sounds like you found a solution. It's like, why don't I create my own opportunities? But then... You have to go then knocking on other different type of doors, right? On your networks to say, hey, can I deliver and then pitch yourselves and things like that. So how long did it take before you closed that first client or first paid training session after you decided to do that? I can't remember how long was it, but it was quite fuzzy at that point. Because I said I started my own company, no, no one would come to ask me for a job. No one would ask me to go and deliver a training session. When I started my own company, meaning now I can pitch whatever training I have, I'm my own boss. So mm. I'm the business developer. I am the one who's yeah. going to deliver training. I'm the one who's going to do the design. It's a lot more work, but at least everything is in my control. Rather, if I actually go to another company, what will happen is that they will actually take a cut from the overall costs, right? So of course, financially it will be lesser. But on the other hand, the advantage of some of these companies is they have the network. Mm. I don't have a network. So I have to do both ways. I will still have to continue to source for companies to collaborate with. On the other hand, I work as a freelance. I work with my own company and a couple of my associates ah. go out there and fund for businesses. Yeah. So yeah. there's two prongs in which we were actually going. So one prong was leveraging what I actually use as an as individual contributor, as, as a business mm-hmm. owner. I actually yeah. managed to get some very small scale, simple business, but that trains our experience. That really yeah. builds the experience. And with that, if you can see the whole loop there, I brought into my CV and my client list. And the momentum to starts. The companies. That's yeah. right. That's right. Once yeah. I started with that, then I brought this to, I went to talk to uh, MDIS at the point of time. The first time yes. I approached them, they don't even want to entertain me. The second time when I go back to them about six months later, I said, these are my clients, by the way, A, B, C, D. So, wow, you have all these clients. I said, yes, I do have all these clients. Let's talk. Yes. The conversation changed. Yeah. So if I continue on them, they will continue to say that you're just an over-the-top kind of engineer and therefore you are going downhill and say, no, now I'm coming up. I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with. Bring all these clients list and say that these are my clients. These are the yeah. kind of training that I've done. And by then, I actually accumulated quite a list of them. And of course, 
at that point of time, I actually have to work on based on volume, the low cost but more volume kind of training so I can build some form of credibility and experience as well. The money is really meager at that point of time. <laughs> um, Really, I remember you really mentioned you did take a pay cut, right? For example, the, the very first, uh, when I worked so-called part-time for another training consulting company, I remember the first act that I was actually drawing was $1,900. Oh. I remember seeing that check, it was $1,900. And when I left my engineering job, I was drawing close to $6,000 at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so that's about one-third of my original salary. But of course, <gasps> if I have any training session that I deliver, uh, every session that I deliver, I get another $400, $300 more and things like that. Yeah. But everything that's together, I still can put food on the table at the end of the day. Yeah. So that, that helps because I know that the first two years is going to be tough. And once you ride through this wave, you mm. start to see that all the evidence are going to show you whether you're successful or not. If you're not, you're going to start making adjustments. If you are, how do you write on it? How do you leverage it and then move on to the next level? And I really like that your timeline is not months. You give yourself actually two years to really like realistically make that change. And it's not just yeah. take a course, but it's take a course and make sure that you get some real world experience. If there's nobody giving the opportunity, you're creating it for yourself, right? And then yeah. kind of building up from there. But we know that's not the end of it. I think so what's fascinating is I wonder if you even think about it you make that leap from running your own show, then after that, going back to, or rather not going back, but moving into like the new learning in a corporate setting, right? So I'm just curious for you, after you've done this part and things like that, can you share the story also about how that you ended up in one of the biggest brands that we can, we see in hospitality, <laughs> yeah? Learning development team. I thought that was uh, quite yeah. fascinating. Yeah, actually just, in fact, this goes back to what you mentioned earlier on. Really very keen learner. I never stopped. Yeah. So I just wanted, I'm very curious. I'm always trying to learn something new. Something that's too familiar. Sometimes I get a little bit itchy to say that, no, I want to try something new. I want to see something that's different. I want to try out in a very new space. So the, the story goes that after almost close to two years that I've mm. run a business and then also partnering with some of the consulting firm, training firms out there, I have to say, in a way, at that point that I've made it, how do I actually define that I've made it? And that, that's something I told my dad in the past. My dad is very old school. So he defined my success by my paycheck. Yeah. Okay, so it's actually how big your paycheck is and therefore that you find how successful you are. I cannot argue with him because to him, survival is more important than anything mm. else, right? Time that he was growing up. So after about two years, you start to see that, like for example, the evidence is like, I can charge the clients X amount, which is usually something that I don't really charge. It's like mm. 2,000, 3,000 a day, they will pay. And mm. you start to see that those, after I do the monthly invoicing and all this, I'm like, holy cow, I'm actually earning a lot more than what I used to earn as an engineer in the past. <laughs> No, from the 1009, I have definitely at least you know, four or five folks more than that. And then eventually, towards the end of two years, every month is definitely more than 10K. Mm. Uh, if it's under 10K, you're like, oh, what, what happened? But actually, it's not too bad. But that's also when I caught myself on a number of occasions of the pretenders syndrome. It's starting to come in as well because I noticed that theory, the framework that I'm using keeps on repeating just to different clients. That's all. And I don't know if all these things sticks or it actually has tractions on the ground. Okay. And that eats me up a little bit because, yes, of course, I'm still collecting my invoices from the clients and it's paying my all these things. So I went to some of the clients who are a little bit more open and start to explore a little bit. I said, do you want to push this a little bit further, bringing me in to do a one-day, two-day leadership training? But do you want coaching, for example? Do you want me to coach some of your people? Do you want me to actually help them? Do you want me to design something for the long run, for example? Do you want to even use me as a part-time consultant mm. to come in to look at your, I want to see your, the impact. your results? Exactly. Yeah. So that's the other part of me, which is actually, again, very curious. I don't want to just deliver yep. something which I don't even know whether it will work on the ground or not. And how do I actually find that? 
I have to go onto the ground and find out. So <laughs> Back to your traffic the, days, your traffic engineering days, you need to go exactly, to the ground. Exactly, exactly. So it's all connected. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, it's still me, but it's on a very different scale, very different context that I start to understand. Yeah. I need to bring this to the ground to see the end-to-end -end process, do a learning needs, for example, come up with the interventions of different mode, different kind. Then after that, do the whole cycle back again and say that, okay, review. If it doesn't tweak, and then we change and then we try again. Addressing mm -hmm. the business needs, going back to tell the business, hey, business, this is not working, L&D is the solution and things like that. So I become a huge advocate for L&D because L&D has always been seen as a handy plus, right? <laughs> but I want to say it can do more, L&D actually is this. And so this was through the community practice that I was actually talking about. And through that, I decided, I think I need to come back into in-house. Mm. I dormant down, I actually make my company dormant. So I actually shut the company in a sense. Yeah. I keep it in ACRA, but I say, okay, I will keep the account there, but I will not trigger it. Maybe it's a retirement job that I'll come back later on. Mm -hmm. But for the next few years, I want to go into corporate. I want to go into in-house and then I want to learn from industry. So that's when I took a different pivot and then go into industry, hospitality, which I've never been before. Yeah, so I guess that's great. I'm hearing also is there is so much self-reflection and a certain level of self-awareness that you have that you're always thinking, do you have some kind of daily practice? Because I wonder, sometimes we are so busy as we go from day to day. Do you take time to do this? I'm just curious. Is it part of your habit? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm going to get up and then like spend 15 minutes. I was just reading somewhere that like the Zoom CEO, I think guy yeah, like spends yeah. 15 minutes in the morning just thinking about what can I do differently today or what can yeah. I change? But is that something similar for you in... To build I, that self-awareness skill. I have to say, I don't have that discipline to create a space like a Zoom CEO, like that, the 15 minutes here and there. But I always yeah. have physical space where I know that the whole thought process is subjective. And that's when I'm driving. So, uh, so yeah. you know, in the commute, when I'm driving and all mm. these things, that's where my head gets very active. The other time when I'm super active is towards the middle of the night. So after the 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, when everything's very quiet and all these things. And that's when my mind starts to become very active as well. Yeah. So all the reflections and all these things come on. Even like, for example, in the car, when I'm driving, when I started to think about sometimes framework and all this thing, just, came, <laughs> like, it's really, it's just yeah. maybe something on the road trigger me and think, and I have very close affiliation to transportation. So something will actually trigger uh, me. Yes. I'll just actually press on the recorder button on my phone and then I just start recording because I can type when I'm driving. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I'll actually turn on the voice recorder and then mm -hmm. to the voice recorder and I'll just put a time and say that, okay, today's date is 10th of March. Okay. I'm thinking about blah, 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 blah. So later on, I can translate that to text. There are so many tools right now to transcribe like audio to text. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then we don't have chat GBT and all these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Everything is just yourself. But I guess these are tools, but on the other hand, it's more yourself that discipline to self-reflect that create awareness yeah. or making associations, being able to connect the dots, to make associations yeah. from everything that's happening around you because everything can teach you something. That is true. I think that's something that I really like to speak with you, right? Because I guess... By the time when we work together, I feel like all the time, no matter when I have a conversation with you, you are very quick and able to listen first. Like you're really good at listening. Everybody can tell you're very articulate. I think once you listen and what the person is saying, I think the connecting the dots thing comes very, seems very natural and effortless, which might be the reason why I think for most of your job, people will just keep locking on your doors. So I guess from then, did you feel like when you make, moved from running your own company to deliver training into in-house, was it easier this time around? So the same domain, growing across from, I guess, a different setting, a different type of environment. Mm, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay, so this is counterintuitive, right? Some people will be yeah. like, 
Of course, yeah. you know, when you've really done your own in-house training, you've built the skills, you've built a whole yeah. client book. It's yeah. quite simple, isn't it? Like moving yeah. in-house and the reality is different, right? Yeah. No, reality is definitely different. And I expected that as well because remember as a consultant or as a trainer, external trainer, what you see is only one small window of the, of the entire process. But yeah. now that you are in the system itself, you see the end to it <laughs> and you see where the magnitude of the issues are. Yeah. Or simple things, for example, I don't work with the whole slew of our stakeholders when I'm an external, when I actually work with the HR team or the transformation team mm. or the CEO or the MD center. That's it. They set the yeah. directions. We go in, we deliver the message that they want us to tell them, boom, we are done, collect the money. That's it. When you are in the system, when you're in the process itself, that's when you start to say, hey, you know what? You've got to socialize some of these ideas with some of the business stakeholders. You know mm. that some of them are not easy to talk to. Some of them look at HR or L&D with very different perspective and all these things. So I guess that's the time where the influencing skills comes in. Because how do you actually influence them, even sometimes with authority as well? Because from hierarchy point of view, they are way above us. <laughs> if I go in as an L&D manager, they are the general manager, they say, I'm sorry, what you are. So it's more facilitative than directive. You don't go Fair in enough. and start to give yeah. them all this information, but you go there and elicit the information, think about it, analyze, come up with solutions or couple of solutions to actually sell it back to them. Yeah. So that part is definitely not very different things to do. Very different. And the culture yeah. of the company comes in. Behaviors <laughs> come in. And that's when I start to work with like hospitality. I have like 17 different nationalities in one hotel. One seven. Oh, no. <laughs> so you have to learn how to communicate with different people, different styles. Yeah. You start to know that, oh, okay. So sometimes maybe I'm more like that. No, but they are actually not. Some of them are really very different. So it's more challenging to work with a wider spectrum of audience and stakeholders. Yeah. Uh, so to put it simply, it's definitely not any easier, but it's more fulfilling, I would say. Yeah. Can you maybe just share the story of then who gave you this opportunity to come in-house into the hospitality industry? And why do you think this person gave you the opportunity? What did this person see in you to say, okay, I'm going to give Norman this chance and believe he's going to be successful in it? So before I, I talk about this story, it's just also one advice. You can't succeed in the career without people like this, where there'll be moments where someone will appear in your life or your career to show you a certain direction. Now, of course, a lot of uh, the coaches I spoke to say, I'm, I'm waiting for the people to appear. I think sometimes, <laughs> not whether you're surrounded by all these people or not, sometimes when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. If you heard this statement before, right? That, that when the, it's, it's not about yeah, the student the ready. Are there. Yeah, the student has to be ready. So if you're not ready, even when the person is there, you will not see the person. Rub shoulder and then you will not encounter. There's a lot of layoffs happening this past few months. Some yeah. of the people that I, I spoke with, one that really jumped out at me was the comment that said, I'm waiting for uh, prospective employers to see me. So I was like, I get it. And in terms of this person that's not a fresh grad, really has yeah, some experience. Yeah, experience. I don't think that's what you mean by the student is ready. No, okay. The student is not ready. The student can be ready in many different forms. Sometimes we say, your humility has to come through as a student as well. To say, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready mm. to have someone in my life to show me the right direction. Even if the advice is going to be something that is quite pretty on the year itself, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So you don't want to actually have a master or a teacher or a coach to come in and tell you something and you're not ready to actually take that in, then that's not the right moment or that's not the right coach for you. So to me, when I actually saw the opportunity in the hotel via online and they were saying that they're looking for L&D manager. And as if looking at the scope, I can actually do it. And hospitality and service is also something that's very close to my heart because I used to be in a service committee when I was an engineer. So I said, okay, at least there's some remote connections, right? So I can drum up the stories about my experience about delivering service in the public sector. <laughs> how do we bring that in? I think that's a really good example. Like yeah, how you can actually <laughs> bring in past experience. You have, that's transferable. Because if you have, 
if you have nothing at all, nobody will listen to you. If nobody will just open the door and say, welcome for someone who has no experience in helping me. Yeah, well, there's no nobody, value. Exactly, there's no value at all. So I brought that in. So I had this very good conversation with my ex-boss at the point. I now who's a very close friend of mine as well. Spoke to her and then paint her the vision about my encounter in hotels, luxury hotels, how I envisage and you know, how to transform the entire service levels and things like that. Of course, you have to do research to yeah. find out more about their philosophy of service and all these things, the service thoughts, and then bring in proposal of how I can bring my previous experience to help them elevate to a certain level and to bring in something that is different from what they are doing right now. Mm. Because I don't want to go in and become an operator to just continue to roll out whatever they have done it. So I want to come in and evaluate. I want to come in and access. I want to come in and work with the stakeholders. I want to elevate. I want to help the company become more visible. Yeah. Uh, these are the proposals that I come in during the interview itself. And after two hours, she was really impressed. Two um, hours? You spoke with her for two hours? Two, <laughs> it was actually two hours. And then after that, she brought me to the back of the house of, of the hotels. And then she told me this thing, which I always remember. And then we reminisced this many times when we actually catch up. Uh, and she said, she brought me to the back of the house. She brought me to the training room itself. She said, come, Norman, this is the training room that where usually our training and our orientation will be held. I want you to actually go and stand at the front of the stage over there and then look at the place. Can you imagine yourself delivering a session over here? Yeah. Mm. And I did that. She turned she on the light. She's to tell you to go that way as well. You, you see, this, this is an experience thing as well. It's not just about, oh, interview. Oh, I like experience. Okay, let's start the job. No, it's experiential. It's, you go there, you stand there, and then you close your eyes, you envisage. Is this mm. something that you want to do? Is this a place where you can imagine? It? As I was standing there, straight away, as I was speaking, I had goosebumps as well because I was standing at the front of the stage there. As the light comes on with the table that's totally empty, I start to see it being populated by people looking in my directions, listening to orientation, listening to trainings, service mm-hmm. training, role play. It starts the sound, feeling, the audio, the kinesthetic, everything starts to come in. And I was telling her, I said, I can totally see this happen. <laughs> Over that, and truth to be told, months later when I was actually doing it, that's the exact scene that I was actually seeing. So then I kind of close the loop in a certain way to say that, you know, but you have to have a clear vision, then you can really shape your behavior. Here, the way that you interact with people and things will happen. Yeah. At that moment, I would say one of my best interview experience I've had. Yeah, it really sounds like you were ready, but also at the right time and the right place for them because a lot of times companies might not really have the appetite to overhaul, bring in so many new ideas, but it sounds like mm-hmm. they were ready for you as well to bring in all these fresh take and a new way of approaching service in the hospitality setting. So if you are... Looking at that experience and looking back on finishing out that piece, right, from our discussions and in other occasions, I'm just curious because for you, I can see this theme of like reinvention. You're not the type who would like just do the same thing for a long time, not because that you get bored of it, but it's because I think it sounds like you set a goal for yourself what you want to try and then you test it out and then okay, you validate it and then you go through and after that you achieve it and be like, okay, what's next? Kind of yeah. situation. So maybe what kind of impact are you hoping to do next in terms of like after? Because I think we haven't really even covered like the full breadth of your career stages yet. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious to say, just from a growth and change perspective, right? What is most rewarding for you in terms of your experience? And what are you looking forward to to set your sights on something that's maybe even more challenging for you next? I actually had this reflection, I'd say some years back, probably in my mid-40s. So that's when you start to need to plan the stage of your career. You can't be just waiting for things. Really, yeah, me, I, I don't think there'll come to be a day when I say I'm totally retired. Because my mind is so active, it's very hard for me to re- re- retire. Yeah. So I'll continue to actually work. 
Uh, what is that common denominator throughout my entire 21 years of career? Mm-hmm. I need to find that common denominator. What keeps me going on a daily basis? So there was this talk that I actually had with one of the schools. I can't remember which school was it already, but I actually did a talk and all these things. And one of the students actually asked me that question. So Norman, I just want to chat with you because it's so diverse in the things that you have done, right? You've been an entrepreneur, you have been working in-house, you have been working overseas as well and things like that. Anything that's common all the way through. And that struck really right on the head. I said, I did think about that what's actually common all the way through <laughs> so i was in a panel so i was sitting there i said i addressed that but can you talk to the rest of the panel first i'll come back to me so they were the rest were just talking talking, and i was really my mind was like racing through and i was like i yeah. think i found the answer the answer is very fundamental and very simple i just want to help people that gives me a great motivation to continue to do what i'm trying to do i just want to help people because everything that i do in fact from engineering why i do engineering because i want to help people i want to make transportation more efficient. I want to leave a legacy for people to actually to really look at and to yeah. view and to help Singapore to become a better place so that my future can Singapore the way that I used to enjoy them. So that has helped to help people. But L&D is to really help people to grow, help people to develop, help yeah. people to understand where they are. Yeah. When I'm doing coaching, or it's more on a int- very intimate way of actually learning and development is to allow people to actually self-explore and see how they can actually go, where they can actually go to and things like that. So it's always this word to help people that, that kind of permeates is the red line that actually permeates my entire career history over there and that mm-hmm. forms the anchor for everything that I'm doing everything else spins around that but it's mm-hmm. always this more altruistic nature of mine is trying to help people and it came through in my strength finder as well so when I was doing strength finder I was like ah oh, yes. see, what are your strengths <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no surprise I can show it to you after the yeah. developer is definitely one of my strongest strengths I would say so no apologies for that Absolutely. this is who I am I can yeah. use that quite effortlessly real strength is about using it effortlessly I can exercise that quite easily which is why I thrive in an environment like that rather than a more hardcore kind mm-hmm. of engineering environment so that's a red thread that actually cuts through everything and where I'm going to go to next in fact my mm-hmm. next level my next career pivot is to go into healthcare mm-hmm. so I'm going into healthcare soon and healthcare is another if you can see that red thread it actually yeah. extends even into my next yeah. career line as well and it's not by coincidence I think sometimes subconsciously it's also tuning me I think towards so, yeah. my selection for my career as well yeah. I think that's like such a helpful way to think about it so it's the sense that when maybe people externally that might not understand that hey, you seem to be just jumping here and there doing different things or different industries but having that threat for yourself and understanding what that is there is that element of that identity i am somebody who helps people right here to help to serve and make sure that people grow and like contribute to that that picture it's almost like if people understand that and they think of norman like that's the identity that associate with you right but then this yeah. is Perhaps what I'm hearing is for you is something that you've really internalized for yourself and that's all you need, right, to move forward to say this is going to be the right move for me next. That's a, that's a very powerful reflection, I must oh, say, uh, because yeah. then it kind of guide you towards your decision in terms yeah. of career. If you are going to move to anywhere, because many a times when someone comes to me for career coaching and career advices, you will hear a lot to do with, oh, I don't want to stay in this job already. Yeah. <laughs> Then you have like, okay, so I hear all the push factor over here. Tell me, so what do you want to do from a career point of view? What kind of environment do you thrive in? What kind of skills do you have? What strength do you have? And I usually met with quite a fair bit of silence after that. Yeah, because now, there that, are two different questions. Thing. Knowing two what you don't want is very yeah. different from knowing what you want. Exactly. And, and yeah. I would say a, a safe 80% of my career coaching sessions started with that kind of conversation. People don't know what they actually want. So there's no gravitation at all. Even if they tell me, I say, oh, I just want a job that pays me better. I'm not judging. Can, no problem. 
At least they know that's the main thing. <laughs> exactly. At least there's a bullseye for you to actually aim for. So, of course, I can always be a little bit more wholesome and say that oh, money is not everything. But yes, some people do. I mean, for example... Yes, we don't have to judge that if they, that's to. what they need. Don't have to. One, one of the... I can't name people here, but one of the very senior C-suite person who always come back and see me for career advice every few months or so. And she is one of those who have no shame of saying that what I want to do is for the next 10 years to make this amount, really. What kind of job you ask me to do or whatsoever, as long as you can make that amount, I don't care if it's against my That's how you measure success. Exactly. I want to, oh. because I want to retire by this age, I want to make sure my kids are, have good education and things like that. That was his motivation. And it's crystal clear since the day one he came to me for advice. And so every single move that he makes, okay, I can't recommend for him, but every single move that he makes, this is always one of the main considerations. But what mm-hmm. as a career buddy or career coach to him is that look at the nature of the job itself. Because if you want to keep on climbing, there will come to be a point of time where you're bottleneck up. Yeah. You also bottleneck as well. You can't be continuing to pursue this. So you have to also see the breadth of building your development career path as well. So you can't be just going particular and trying to get more money. Because sometimes going horizontal can get you more money as well, depending on the mm-hmm. company, the kind of industry that you're going to. Hedging also to risk. Risk, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's on target in a sense. He's, he's, <laughs> he's pretty much on target. But like I say, at least he has this aim. He has this target that he actually wants to mm-hmm. go to. Versus a lot of the other people who I spoke to, typically they know what they don't want, and which is mm. why it's pushing them out from their current role or industry, but they don't know what they want. Yes. Hopefully after hearing this discussion, at least taking that time to do that self-reflection. Even for me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to definitely on my to-do list is just really to find that thread. I think that's my kind of main takeaway from the conversation today. Before we finish out this conversation, I'm just curious if there is one key thing that if you want listeners who are either already trying to make that career leap or they are thinking about doing that, what do you think that you want them to take away from today's conversation if you can boil it down to just one thing or one idea? That's why I'm acutely aware that especially now in the season of the tail end of the red resignation, right? So a lot of big movements and things. Hopefully it's a tail end. (laughs) I hope so. I really hope so. And really, I think one of the things is you first have to know what you are driven by, your motivations, your key motivations of a move. It's always easy to say that it should be more pull factor than push factor, but I guess in the market right now indeed that there's a war for talents and all this the, the pool factor will always be there but you have a distinct what kind of pool factor that will totally align with what you want to do and also to your strength as well so that part i think from market supply point of view opportunities will be a plenty i don't think there will be a lot of issues on that but you really need to gravitate towards something that leverage your strength but on the other hand to make a decision to make a move is always something that you need courage on yeah. Okay. Um, knowing Singaporeans, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and I guess many of us uh, who's listening to this are actually Singaporeans. Well, yeah. Our education system actually wouldn't really prepare us for big changes and things like that. It's about, okay, just plowing through, you know, work hard, your success will come along. Go from one us. institution to the next institution. <laughs> yeah. You'll get the next big qualification, things like that. And courage doesn't seem to be something that you really preach openly. It's children. not something that is shared as a admirable thing. If you think about Singaporeans, right? The top five mm-hmm. traits, courage is not going to be one of them. I, At least I don't I think so. so. Not in the top <laughs> 10. <laughs> because we grew up in a very safe space. So you, mm-hmm. you don't need to make big decisions sometimes to actually shift yeah. to change and things like that. But in other countries where your basic hygiene factors are not even met, you need courage. 
Yes. Sometimes we really have to put everything in one basket and say, you know what, I'm going to, it's, it's do or nothing, it's do or die, let's go and do, go ahead and do it. You need some kind of, of courage. But we were in a more blessed kind of environment whereby we can take a bit more time to take some calculated risk before we make a certain decision. And in particular, the career itself, I think there's many dimensions when you're looking at career transiting. And I was talking to one of my younger staff recently on this as well. You know, she came to me and said that I, I'm lost. I don't know what else to do. I'm in my late 20s. And then uh, I said, really? She's lost at late 20s. And that's fine. No judgment. I say that. That's totally fine. Some of you are lost when they are even 15. So that's mm. okay. But what I want to tell her is that the, the, the courage that you take to make a decision the multiple dimensions, including your financial situation at this point of time. Do you have mortgages that you need to pay? Do you have parents still supporting you? Do you live with your parents at this point of time? Do you have intention to start families? Because all this is going to take up all your finance resources. Yeah. Okay, so you have to consider that. You can't say, oh, I just want to do volunteer work for the rest of my life. Sure, fine. But who's going to pay for your food and all this? You still need a paycheck at the end of the day. So that's one aspect of it. The different part of your entire life journey actually ties very closely with your career choices as well. So at some point in time, when I decided to go overseas, when I thought, okay, my family is in good care of my extended family and therefore I can make that courageous move to go to Hong Kong to work for a few years by myself. Mm-hmm. And still be able to hopefully to be able to keep the call of the family okay intact <laughs> and go there and explore because that is going to help me to pivot into something else later yeah so that yeah. requires a lot of courage and support from people mm. around you otherwise it, it won't happen so the courage i'm talking about is not a mindless courage or i don't like my boss and that thing tomorrow that, that's not courage that's just fear a fear of having that big confrontation what they said and then run running away, away from, from it <laughs> yes, that is purely fear and, and that will happen in another place with another person and things like yeah. that. But the calculated risk that you're going to take involve considering all the factors holistically and then you take that, that leap of faith to say, you know what, and don't give yourself too many different options in CDE. Okay, and yeah. see that if you want to do it, you go all the way through. And it goes back to the story that I told before that when I left public service from engineering into starting my own company, that was a big leap of faith. But that one plan B that I actually had is that my boss at that point of time in public service said that if you decide anytime to come back just let me know i'll be here <laughs> that gives me a lot of confidence to say that okay yeah. should anything fail within the next two years form of support right yeah i'll, I'll do it because i still like the job i still like the environment it's not that i walk out you know burning all the bridges i still like it there. and really do value that kind of support that he actually gave me and say that you know what you have been a great servant to the agency over here and if you want to come back one of these days yeah. So he's still there, by the way. He's still there. So maybe if I go and ask him for a job, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> might be close to retirement already. No, no, no. no. He's, he's just a few years. Oh, he's still older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so still, still yeah. some way to go. I'm just thinking out loud in your moment. I've enjoyed this conversation so much with you. I think if anybody's listening to this, right, well, if there is an opportunity to invite you on again, just talk about like how do you influence people, the influencing strategies. I think that... That level of EQ that you have and then how you influence people, it please has played a big part in how you have actually moved from place to place and making all these pivots. I know you've talked a little bit about it, but in just the back of my mind, I think that would make for a fascinating conversation. So I think we can see how this is received and see if we can invite you again for the next one. But this has been such an enjoyable treat just to hear about your my story. Pleasure. Thank my you pleasure. so much. I really appreciate your time again and I look forward to meeting up with you in real life outside of the uh, virtual studio. But thanks again sure. for your time, Norman. All right. Really appreciate well, it. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Okay, bye. Have a good day. Bye.